Well, hello and welcome to this week's A Photographic Life from a very chilly shed somewhere in the Cotswolds. I should say the Cotswolds in the UK. Now, this has never been a political podcast as such, but we're living in increasingly political times in which we seem to be so divided, I should say, into a a right-wing, left-wing, believing in this and believing in that. There's definitely been a right-wing agenda over the last few years. I suppose it came to fore during COVID about the idea that experts don't know what they're talking about and that we need to question the experts and we perhaps don't need to believe in the experts. Well, I'm not going to get into that political debate. Primarily, I think photographers are liberal in their thinking. Now, that doesn't mean to say if you're listening to this and you identify what liberal means to a political party, that you've suddenly got to put me into a box politically. But the majority of photographers, I think, are liberal. They are left-wing thinking, if that's what you want to believe. There are lots of examples of photographers in the past who have been right-wing thinking. And I suppose the work of Lenny Riefenstahl is perhaps the most controversial of those. But the reason I'm talking about this this week isn't directly political, but I think perhaps some of the things I'm seeing may have a connection with that belief that the expert no longer knows what they're talking about. I'm seeing a lot of things on social media about being paid as a photographer and what that means and how you should go about it. And everything I'm seeing so far makes absolutely no sense to me as somebody who works as a commissioning photographer on a regular basis, but also who commissioned photography for over 20 odd years. Now, I wonder whether or not there is a new UK-US difference occurring because the majority of the photographers I'm seeing talking about this are US-based. But I've worked across uh, America. I've had offices in New York and in Seattle over the years. So I am aware of those differences. But I'm not aware of them being quite so dramatic. What I'm seeing from the American photographer at the moment seems to be a real arrogance and a kind of disrespect for the people they're photographing and a lack of understanding of the relationship that a photographer should have with a client. I'm not sure where this is coming from, as I say. I'm not sure if the people who are putting out this information, this knowledge, truly are experts. I'm not sure that they're actually working photographers. But what I do know is that if you are going to listen to an expert, if you're going to listen to somebody who knows what they're talking about, make sure you do your research explore their experience, work out who they're working for. And actually, what I would say is, if you want to know about the client, speak to the client, not the photographer. Whilst we're talking about experts and clients, any long-term listener to this podcast, and I know a lot of you are, so thank you for that support, will know that I'm rather keen on a list, a kind of 10-point success story written by people 
who do know what they're talking about and whom I can really respect. And I saw one posted recently, a lovely page in an old Philofax, a Philofax, a leather-bound, a ring-bound book or diary. I know for some of you it may seem like a nostalgic mention. For me, I still keep mine and have mine, bought it in 1984. It's quite nicely worn in now. Anyway, uh, this is a page from a Philofax uh, belonging to the GQ editor-in-chief, Art Cooper, and it was uh, posted online by friend of the show and art director, Fiona Hayes, and uh, I thought it was worth sharing with you. So it goes like this. 13 steps to editing a successful magazine. Number one, the reader comes first. Number two, Surveys, demographics, etc. should be used to validate rather than guide action. Number three, ethical and moral posture is to cultivate, not exploit. Number four, stimulate, don't tranquilize, lead readers, don't follow. Number five, relationship to readers should be we all, not we they. Number six, address the whole person. Number seven, be flexible, but not at the cost of personality. Number eight, be courageous. Prompt and decisive action will pan out, whereas caution and timidity will peter out. Number nine, maintain tight control. No such thing as creativity by committee. Now, unfortunately, the other rules are on another page that she didn't post, but I can only imagine that they are as good as those. They may be rules for creating a successful magazine, but I think they're pretty good rules for life, and not only for life, but for photography. And as we know, photography is life. Whilst we're on the subject of sets of rules, I thought we could revisit, because I think we've mentioned these before on the podcast. May have done, may not, but never mind. They may be new to you, or worth just reminding you of Tony Ray Jones's thoughts scribbled down in his diary as to how to approach a photograph and photography. Quite simply, at the top of the page, he writes and underlines approach and he says this be more aggressive get more involved talk to people stay with the subject matter be patient take simpler pictures see if everything in the background relates to the subject matter vary competitions compositions i should say be more aware of composition don't take boring pictures get in closer Watch camera shake. Don't shoot too much. Not all eye level. No middle distance. This week, we welcome to the podcast to explain to us in less than five minutes uh, what photography means to him, native Texan Arthur Myerson, who since 1974 has travelled throughout the world creating award-winning advertising, corporate and editorial photographs, as well as an extensive body of art-based imagery. A three-time winner of Adweek Southwest Photographer of the Year Award, Myerson is on Communication World's list of top 10 corporate photographers and was named one of the 30 best advertising photographers by American Photo. 
His awards are numerous, including gold medals from the New York Art Directors Club, the Art Directors Club of Houston, the Dallas Society of Visual Communications, and the Stephen Kelly Award uh, for his work on the Nike advertising campaign. Myerson was selected by Nikon to their illustrious Legends Behind the Lens list and honoured by the Houston Advertising Federation as the inaugural recipient of the Only in Houston Award for Individuals. In 2008, the Houston Decorative Centre named him as the first photographic recipient of their annual Stars of Design celebration. Besides his commercial work, uh, Myerson's fascination with light, colour and the moment culminated in his 2012 book, The Colour of Light. His second book, The Journey, was published in 2017. Myerson's photographs are in the public collections of several major institutions and have been exhibited internationally. Today he teaches workshops, undertakes individual mentoring and participates in speaking engagements throughout the US and abroad. He is a former member of the Advisory Council for the Santa Fe Centre for Photography and the Houston Centre for Photography, as well as continuing to serve on the board of advisors for the Santa Fe Photographic Workshops. And now he's on the podcast. What does photography mean to me? That's a really good question. I think I should begin by saying I never grew up thinking or wanting to become a photographer, and yet, when I finally did, it suddenly became a way of life. A life journey that has led me to places I never thought I'd go, meet people I never thought I'd meet, and experience things I never imagined. It allowed me to make a living doing something I loved doing, both professionally and personally. However, throughout my assignment work, I continually made photographs for myself, the so-called, but all-important, personal work. By continually creating new images, I felt that I was not only growing photographically, but also creatively, and at the same time, continuing to edit and critique that work. Eventually, I began to understand that these photographs were an extension of me, my interest, and my point of view. They became the basis for my first monograph, The Color of Light, that allowed me to put book covers around that body of work. The third part of my photographic life has been teaching workshops. Because I had been so inspired by my mentors, Ernst Haas and Jay Maisel, I wanted to be able to give back to the profession as well as to pay it forward. And so, for the past 30 years, I've done my best to help individuals take their work to the next level, to give them the confidence to follow their own vision and make their own work by utilizing patience, persistence, and passion. Seeing the progress that they make in the short time that we spend together is always rewarding. I also feel fortunate because of all that photography has taught me, especially how to see. Not only to see with the camera, but without the camera as well. And when we heighten our ability to see, then we're able to capture and collect moments in time that normally go unnoticed. Most people go through life orienting themselves from one place to the other without really seeing. As photographers, we have the privilege 
and obligation to show the others what they've missed. It might be a unique quality of light. It might be the interaction of color, subtle or bold. It might be an awareness for a moment, be it decisive or banal. And if we are really attuned to the situation, it might be a combination of any or all of these elements within a unique moment in time. Just the ability to capture a moment in time within a fraction of a second and then be able to go back and study it objectively, that is a privilege. My photographic mantra has been to avoid preconceptions. That way, I'm not disappointed by what I don't find, and at the same time, I'm more open to what is actually there. It's also about lessons learned and certain truths that come from them. The realization that there are only two things we control in photography, the where and the when. The where is where we place ourselves relative to the subject we're photographing, and the when is when we engage the shutter. From the moment we put the camera to our eye and frame a subject, we decide what we want to include and what we want to eliminate. And in a sense, we've literally made our first edit. It's also about learning to trust your intuition while still allowing for chance to happen. And while awareness and anticipation are always key to the capturing moment, if we're to be honest, a bit of luck never hurts either. And finally, if you see something that speaks to you, you owe it to the thing as well as to yourself to spend time with it rather than God forbid saying, I'll get it later. So if I take all of these lessons learned from photography and apply them to my life and ask, what does photography mean to me? Simply that it's been a way to see the world and live my life. And I have always felt that was a wonderful privilege and obligation. Well, thank you, Arthur, for your contribution this week. Boy, was that good. And I started off this episode talking about the importance of listening and hearing from experts. And without a shadow of a doubt, Arthur is one of those people who you should listen to. If you're not aware of his work, and you should be, then of course, check it out. Also very interesting for me, as I've said so often on the podcast, I don't listen to the contributions before I start speaking at the beginning of the podcast. So all of that stuff that I spoke about when I was talking about the importance of listening to experts and that photography is life, um, I just said, and I didn't know what Arthur was going to say, and there he is saying exactly those things. In reality, I think the themes of photography are relatively straightforward. In fact, funnily enough, I wrote about that very thing uh, I saw a week ago, I suppose. I put it up on the website and somebody from LA, a photographer, I think, uh, attacked me on threads. Where did you get these threads from? Uh, themes from, I should say, rather than threads. Where did you get these themes from, he said. And uh, I kind of intimated that 40 years of working with professional photography is where they came from. That wasn't good enough for him. He was obviously an expert in his own world, in his own mind, I might think. As Arthur said, we have to stay open to things. 
I really appreciate his stoic approach to photography. It's certainly one I share myself. There has been so much I wanted to include in this week's episode, uh, but at the end of, of this particular episode, I want to reflect on some of the sad things that have happened in the last uh, week or so. One of them is the loss of three photographers whom I think mean an awful lot to a lot of you listening. The first one is Ross McDonnell, a truly great photographer from Ireland who contributed to the podcast in the past and was a great supporter of the uh, podcast and of the conversations that we have here. His ending was incredibly sad, um, sudden, um, and I suppose shocking. What I would suggest you do is go onto the United Nations of Photography website and... uh, you can check out the audio that Ross contributed to the podcast and a little bit of text there by one of his good friends, Graham McIndoe, another great photographer, work worth checking out. We also lost two kind of icons of photography, I suppose, Elliot Erwitt and Larry Fink over the last week or so. And uh, I never met Larry, but I certainly met Elliot and <laughs> had a, a very drunken night once, uh, which was great fun. Uh, with him. So we we remember them, of course, through their work, as well as through their words and um, their suggestions about what photography really can be. Finally, I suppose I'm going to mark the passing of somebody outside of photography, but whom an awful lot of photographers photographed and met and had great times with. That's Shane McGowan, I first saw Shane playing in a band, Pogue Mahone, which was the original name of the Pogues. They were in a back room in Kilburn, a back room of a pub, and they were playing. There was no stage or anything. But all the way through, Shane hit himself over the head with a a metal tray as a form of percussion. As a vision, as as a memory, it stayed with me. And so this week, I'd just like to finish with a few words uh, from... My favourite song uh, by the Pogues, uh, London Girl. The light was going out, the moon was dying, the night was turning to a fine spring morning. The dogs were barking and the kids were shouting, the sun was splashing in a crystal fountain. When the cold winds come to find you, blowing down from the top of the high rise, I'll come and take you back, down to Soho, away from all those mad men's eyes. This could be our final dance. This could be our very last chance. Take care.